Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. We're working on Ilanya Van Zandt's book, Trust, this month. The first uh, Sunday, we covered the idea of trust in ourselves. Can we actually trust our own take on things, our own uh, merit in the world, our own ability to be and to do? Can we trust ourselves? The second week, we talked about trust in God, and we compared and contrasted the idea of God as a personality versus God as a principle and discovered that certainly as spiritual principle, we can put our entire faith in God. Today, though, I'm going to walk out on a shakier branch, perhaps, and we're going to talk about trusting other people. (laughs) Now, see, I knew it. (laughs) It's like at least one person went, yay, and two other people went, oh. So, in fact, let me start, uh, just for a laugh, let me start with asking a question and see if everyone raises their hand, because I suspect we will. Who here has been betrayed before? I mean, you'd have to be like seven years old to answer no, right? And even even then, some of the seven-year-olds would say, no, I've been betrayed. Uh, so I think we all know what it feels like when our trust goes awry, when we've put our faith in someone else and they haven't lived up to our expectation of how that faith would be honored. So the question that invariably comes up then is, well, do I even or should I even work at trusting other people? Should I perhaps just do my very best to rely in my own self and spirit and kind of just... You know, especially if you've really been hurt by someone close to you, I think there's that uh, almost inevitable uh, response of shutting your heart down a little bit, right? At least for a significant period of time of just saying, I'm not going to trust anybody. I'm going to trust myself as best I can. I'm going to trust spirit. And people are off the list. <laughs> and, uh, and I want to say there's a real hazard there. The title of the talk is Trust or Consequences. And, uh, and the consequences of not trusting other people are surprisingly severe. If you think about it, most of the success of the planet has been created through people trusting each other. Now, I know that you can come up with names, right? You can say, oh, well, Alexander Graham Bell invented the telephone. You know, Marie Curie developed uh, the idea of immunology. But these were not isolated people. You know, hidden behind the veil of a name are teams of people working on an issue. Believe me, neither of those two people uh, achieved their success in the planet or or brought about the the success that their inventions and discovery, none of them did it alone. And when we have a general mistrust for other people, when we attempt to sort of pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and ignore other people for safety reasons, what tends to happen is our world gets very small. And from a spiritual standpoint, what we're basically saying is I'm ignoring the unity principle. One of the fundamental beliefs of God itself 
is that we are all part of the divine. And when I start walling off part of the divine, when I start saying things like, well, people like him just can't be trusted. People like her that behave like that just can't be trusted. I'm going to stick to my own knitting, so to speak, and, the, and, and, and we'll just put a little wall up here for safety's sake. What we're doing is saying, I can't trust the unity principle. I'm separate from God for safety's sake. Trouble is, safety gets smaller and smaller and smaller. Safety means you can't be your authentic self in the world, that parts that wants to be with and share with other people. You start cutting off a, a huge areas of your life where you can uh, grow, where you can be bigger than you were before, places in your life when you can participate and collaborate with other people to bring great joy and, and peace to the universe. When we have that sort of mentality, no, it's got to be me and I'm going to figure it out on my own. It's like 99% of God you're excluding from your experience in the world. So how do we begin to trust people? Or what avenues can we take for perhaps safely approaching this idea of trust. Well, of course, I have a joke, um, and I will prepare you ahead of time in that my partner, Daniel, says this is a stinky one. So, you know, I just have to bear with it. In olden times, wealthy knights had to provide for their families while they were off on crusade. This could present a problem in a time when women were not allowed to own property or manage money. So this story is about such a crusader who did the best he could. Preparing to go off on a crusade, he called one of his squires to him. Here's a key to the storeroom. There are money and supplies there to keep the household going for at least two years in my absence. It's up to you and my lady to make the provisions last. He then handed the squire a second key. This is the key to the royal treasury. Only the lady of the house knows the location of it deep within the castle. And if I'm not back within two years you can presume that I've been killed. You and my lady may then access the treasury to keep the castle going. Well, the knight sets off on the dusty road, is, is halfway out of sight of the castle, when suddenly he notices the squire running across the drawbridge, yelling, stop, stop. Thank goodness, the squire said, I was able to catch you. There's been some terrible mistake. The second key doesn't open the treasury at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> so when and how can we begin to trust people? And it's probably not the way you think. Believe it or not, the beginning of trusting other people is through vulnerability and through our ability to extend a hand in friendship and understanding. In other words, we have to make the first move. We have to make allowances for other people. We have to be slight risk takers, if you will, so that we can learn about other people. Now, there are a couple different forms of trust here, and I think maybe that's another good place to start. There's what the book calls blind trust or false trust, and also something called informed trust. So let's talk about this idea of false or blind trust first. Blind trust is when you trust someone based on the exteriors. It's when you trust someone based on their position. It's when you trust someone based on their title. 
It's when you trust someone based on their relationship or familial relationship. It's when you trust someone maybe just based on their appearance. Now, these often come into play. In fact, hasn't everyone here met someone and for the first time, just in an instant, suddenly you you felt you could trust them? Well, sadly, that can both be truly our higher wisdom self, getting something from that person, but it also can be this idea of false trust, and I want to talk about it for a minute. And in fact, on the, uh, the internet, I found uh, uh, this interesting article. For those of you in the back of the room, you can't see, uh, but guess who is the most voted, the most trustworthy person on the planet? Yeah, Tom, Tom Hanks. <laughs> I know, I know. They had a whole bunch of movie actors and they asked who who you thought you could trust. Tom Hanks won. But it actually prompted a further study by a university. And there, they took thousands of faces of people you don't know, just, you know, regular people. They had folks sit in front and simply press a trust button or a not a trust button, right? So you get to see a face in an instant, then you press a button that you either would tend to trust them or tend not to trust them, and then it's the next picture and the next picture. And they did this with hundreds of people, and surprisingly and frighteningly, there were huge correlations. People in general will trust people with darker hair more than lighter hair. Now, we blondes may have more fun, But it does not mean that we are universally trusted. People with darker hair are trusted more. Also people who tend to have a neutral or slight smile on their face versus a frown or a big smile on their face were trusted more. Here's an interesting one. People with thinner lips were trusted more. Now think about this. Is it just, right? Isn't it just crazy? Isn't it crazy? Okay, so this is the idea of this false trust or this trust based on the outside. Trust based on a title, right? I'm the minister, so of course I'm trustworthy, right? (laughs) Do you see the problem here with this idea? It's based on either a fleeting first impression of how someone looks or maybe how someone is seated or the clothes they wear. It may or may not have a reality in the world. So the second form of trust, informed trust, is based on our experience. In order, of course, to be able to base our level of trust on experience, we have to have some experience. We have to let down our guard. Here is where we have to open our heart far enough so that we can have interactions with this person. So we can begin, if you will, to understand who they are, what they're about, how they show up in the world. We begin to learn whether their actions and their words are in alignment with each other, right? Another really important thing, I'm sure we've all been with people who said one thing and their actions uh, were slightly different than that, or, or people who outright told fibs, or people who thought it would go a certain way, and then the reality is something different. We're not going to know that unless there's a certain amount of intimacy and open-heartedness to start with. So again, in order to be trusted, we need to open our own self to trust first. That, that self-trust, that belief in ourselves that we are worth taking a little bit of a risk 
to bring more friendship, bring more love, bring more interaction and connection into our world. What happens, though, when the trust is betrayed? Uh, I mean, I would like to portray that we can always be upfront with this. We can always test the person out, engage ahead of time, whether I can trust them about certain things. But, but isn't it true, uh, especially maybe people who would come here on a Sunday, for most of us, trust is in our heart, isn't it? We, we want to think the best about people. And so very often, the first time that trust comes into question is when it's been betrayed in some way, whether it's a minor way or a major way. And I have some tips for that. First of all, we do have to be willing to forgive. If we don't forgive, that wall, that hardness of our heart is simply up for us. And we might think it only pertains to that one person or to that one situation. That would be lying to ourselves. <laughs> the reality is that when our heart has a shackle on it, when our heart is heavy in resentment, all of our relationships suffer. All of our success suffers. Really, the open-hearted position is the place where love comes. It's the place where joy comes. It's the place where success comes. It's the place where wonderment lies. Without it, it all dries up. So we forgive not to have any effect on the other person, the person that, that caused the problem or did the betrayal. We free our own lives through forgiveness. It's through forgiveness that we can begin to trust again, to love again, to feel our own power in the world. So the first thing that's up for us when we have been betrayed is forgiveness. Not forgiving what happened, not forgiving the actions but forgiving the divinity that is before us, the unity principle back again. We have to believe that there is the spark of the divine in all creatures on the planet. And therefore, everyone is worthy of forgiveness. Now, it doesn't mean we trust them to not behave poorly again, right? It's a, it's a case where we begin thinking of trust as not just black or white. We begin thinking of trust as a multi-layered experience, that some people can be trusted in some areas and not in other areas, that some people can be trusted some of the time and for certain things, other times not so much, for other purposes not so much. You know, often in our desire to make things easy, people just get branded as bad people. And the reality is... There probably aren't bad people, but there are people who from time to time do terrible things. So this is the true source of forgiveness. This is how we free our heart is to say, well, I'm going to keep myself safe. I'm going to do what I need to do to make sure I'm not harmed again. But that's not going to lock up my heart. I am going to practice forgiveness. I'm going to free myself I'm going to be vulnerable once again because I know the consequences of not being vulnerable is that my world, my success, that my love gets smaller and smaller and smaller. The next thing we do after we have gone through that forgiveness process is actually just to acknowledge the other person for who and what they are right now. It's okay, even in our desire for someone to improve, it's okay to recognize for right now they are not trustworthy. 
for right now, I cannot place my trust in that person in that area. It's just who they are right in the moment. Now, here is a, a fallacy or a trouble that, that I have certainly run across in my life before. I view everybody from the most rose-colored glasses that you can imagine. I think I'm trained to see, if you will, the potential, the spiritual potential in everyone. And so I'm very apt to just go, oh, sure, here's the keys to the church, right? But what we need to know is that there's a difference between what someone can be and what they are right now. And it is perfectly acceptable. In fact, it's perfectly reasonable and something that we can and probably should do to recognize where people are right now. Certainly to have that opening for the future to be there. Absolutely to wish for the best and plan for the best. And at the same time to acknowledge where someone is right now. So we forgive them. We also acknowledge where they are right now. And we use that information for our own safety purposes, for setting boundaries. And I want to use an example uh, from my own life. And I will tell you up front, this is one of those stories that everybody has to be dead before you can tell a story. <laughs> so like if my mom was still alive, I wouldn't be telling this story. So at the age of five, right about at that age when young people really start questioning what's going on in them, I think up till four or five, don't we just all take it in and we never even think that something might be unusual or different? Well, I remember when I was five years old and uh, staying overnight at my grandparents' house, uh, which I frequently did. Uh, they lived in the same town and, you know, my parents liked having a night out now and then. So I was spending the weekend at grandma and grandpa's and I realized I was in grandma's bedroom and there was a deadbolt on her bedroom door, just like the one on the front door. And I'd never really noticed that or thought about that, but it sure looked different than all the other doors, and I didn't have any kind of a mechanism like that on my door at home. And so I asked Grandma, I said, Grandma, why do you have the funny lock on your bedroom door? It's like the one on the front door. And my grandma said, well, and it's there for about the same purpose. And that's all she would say. And it wasn't until I was a teenager some years later that what I learned was my grandfather was a mean drunk. Now, modern enlightened people today might say something like, well, kick the bum out. <laughs> like, why would she put up with that? Why would she put a lock on the door? I actually want to present this as a, as a bit of a learning experience because I think Grandma had some thought going around this idea of trust. She and her husband had been together for 50 years by this time, had had a beautiful family together, and were very successful in a business that they ran together, had a lot of love and common interests for each other. Obviously, alcoholism was a problem, but she was willing to explore the idea of trust. She was willing to not just say, well, Grandpa is a bad person because he behaves this way once or twice a month. She was willing to evaluate what she could trust about him and what she couldn't trust about him. She also handled the money in the, in the family because Grandpa also couldn't be trusted with money. Now, does that make Grandpa a bad person? 
I don't think so. I think he made some unwise choices. I think the fact that perhaps there wasn't a good alcoholism counseling in that, that small town uh, that I grew up in. I mean, I think there's a whole bunch of things that could be handled differently. But I will say, I'm actually proud of my grandmother for figuring out something pretty fundamental here. It's not black and white. There are things that I can use my common sense and my gut feeling around. My gut feeling is I'm married to uh, a quarrelsome drunk, and I don't need him in my life when he's drinking. Hence the, right? H hence the lock on the door. She could have her sanctuary. But she also recognized there were all kinds of things, a multitude of things. The, the other 99% of grandpa that was to be appreciated and loved and trusted. And so she made some good decisions for herself. Now, are those the same decisions I would make if, if this was a problem I was having today? I'd probably make different decisions, but I love the fact that she went through the mental processes of understanding what could be trusted and what could not be trusted, set up some boundaries and safeguards around that, and lived her life in joy and peace and acceptance around that. So I want you to think, and in fact, here's your homework for this week. Think if you are keeping yourself at a distance from some part of God, some part of God's creation, and here, you know, typically it would be another person. Are you keeping yourself distanced from some part of your life based on mistrust? And if so, I would like you just to say, is it because you're looking at it as black and white? Or are you willing to look at it as a little broader, the many gray shades of, of I can trust him when or not when. I can trust him in this area, but not this area. And see, that is the place where we can begin growing our trust again. That is the place where we can begin more easily to forgive uh, because it's just a portion of a person, a set of actions that really are unforgivable. The person absolutely forgivable. 90% of the person probably, even how they act, completely in alignment with principle. Okay, quick, uh, quick review. Today we talked about trusting others. Trust is essential because it's the way that God connects us to one another. Without trust, we will make zero progress in the world. So it's essential. And the consequences of mistrust are the closed heart. It's the diminishing world. It's our, it's our worldview getting smaller and smaller and smaller until it's just you. That's the consequences. How do we build trust? We build trust by recognizing that it's granular, by recognizing that if something goes wrong, it doesn't have to be the end. In fact, it can be the beginning. We can begin paying more attention to our, our gut feeling of when something just doesn't feel right or something being up. We can begin not going by familiar or titular uh, kinds of trust and really, really person by person analyzing what's going on, how they show up, the choices that they make, and then extending our trust in like measure. Not putting ourselves in risk, but actually evaluating the people and the situations one by one, making great decisions and allowing our heart to really be open, allowing our heart to be full of acceptance. Okay, 
I'm going to close with a, a quote from, uh, from Van Zant's book and a prayer. She says, Trusting others is a difficult task and a powerful lesson that we all endure and move through, regardless of what happens. It means that we place our confidence in someone to be honest, to keep their promise, to honor their word, and to treat us with decency and respect. The point we all seem to miss is that trusting other people means that we have to have a realistic appreciation about people and that we must prepare ourselves for success and failure. It means knowing that people are sometimes broken and complex, that they sometimes lie when they are afraid and may sacrifice our feelings to keep themselves safe. In essence, trusting others means knowing that at all times, under all circumstances, in every situation with all people, we must be willing to trust, but also to forgive, and sometimes to start all over again. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one life, one goodness. This sweet, sweet song of life playing in, around, all. What I know about this all is that it includes all people. That all people on the planet have that spark of divinity within them. It's not always acted upon, but it is there. Everyone deserving of that full treatment of respect and trust. I also know that each one of us has that capability of being safe within our own lives, of using our intelligence to really understand the, how other people are, how they work, how they show up in the world. Not to distrust them, but to know what we can trust them for, to know when we can trust them, to know that there is a granularity of trust and that I can accept that about people. Always knowing they may improve, but not acting upon that uh, desire for improvement, rather acting upon what is presented before us. And so for this, I'm grateful. For this, I recognize that my own heart is able to open to trust others, to make collaborations, to have new friendships, new lives, and new loves. Grateful always for God showing up as every single person that comes into my life. And as it is true for me, it is true for all, equally all. This is the unity principle. This is understanding that you and you and you and you are all part of the same thing. I give thanks. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. 
Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.